0: 1 Kings chapter number eight, I have been working on this message for several months. I've been looking for the right opportunity to preach it. And I may preach it in a meeting in a week or two and we'll just kind of see how it goes today. But to give you a little thought from first Kings chapter eight, look at verse number one. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief of the fathers of the children of Israel, unto King Solomon in Jerusalem, that they might bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. And all the men of Israel assembled themselves unto King Solomon at the feast in in the month Ethanum, which is the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came and the priests took up the ark. They brought up the ark of the Lord and the tabernacle of the congregation and all the holy vessels that were in the tabernacle, even those did the priests and the Levites bring up. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto him were with him before the ark sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be told nor numbered for multitude. And the priests brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord unto his place, And to the oracle of the house, to the most holy place, even under the wings of the cherubims. For the cherubims spread forth their two wings over the place of the ark. And the cherubims covered the ark and the staves thereof above. And they drew out the staves, that the ends of the staves were seen out in the holy place before the oracle. And they were not seen without and there they are unto this day. Solomon, as you may recognize, was no doubt the greatest builder in the Bible. Built several houses, several buildings. In chapter 6, Solomon began construction on the temple. It would take him seven years to build it. It was the most magnificent, magnificent house of worship that the world had ever seen. You remember Queen Sheba came and literally her breath was taken away at the wonder of that temple. In chapter 7, Solomon then built a house for himself. While it took seven years to build the temple, it took 13 years to build his house. Now some people say, well, Solomon didn't have his priorities right. He spent twice as much time building his own house as he did the temple. I don't know if that's exactly true. I'm not sure. It could be, it could be that he was more urgent, more pressing to get the temple built than he was his own house. And so I I don't want to disparage him, him unfairly. But then in chapter eight, the temple is finished and it's time to dedicate the temple. If you'll read the chapters, you'll discover that the temple was actually finished in the eighth month of the year. But Solomon waited until the seventh month of the following year to have the dedication service, 11 months later. Some think that that next year was the year of Jubilee. That would have been a special year to have that dedication. The dedication would be held during the Feast of Tabernacles which was a seven day feast, only in this case, he extended it to 14 days. They had a 14 day feast. That Feast of Tabernacles is one of the annual feasts that all of Israel would come to Jerusalem for and so There's crowds of people there. And understand that the temple replaces the tabernacle. That had been their place of worship in the wilderness. And the most obvious difference between the tabernacle and the temple is that the tabernacle was built to be portable, it could be moved around. The temple was permanent. And that temple sitting there was confirmation of Israel's permanence in the land as promised by God. And on this particular day, all of the priests, all of the Levites there, chief men, the elders from all of the 12 tribes are there. There are thousands of other people that are in Jerusalem. They have been watching for years as this temple was being built, and every year the anticipation and the excitement would be building. I don't think it's possible to capture the excitement of that moment. That temple, by the way, was furnished much like the tabernacle. There were some differences. In that tabernacle, there was one candlestick. In the temple, there were 10 candlesticks. In the tabernacle, there was one table of showbread, but in the temple, there were 10 tables of showbread. In the tabernacle, there were 10 brazen lavers, or or one. In the temple, there were 10 brazen lavers. Every piece of furniture that was in the tabernacle is rebuilt and brought into the temple. He didn't bring any of that old furniture over, but they built everything brand new for the temple, except one thing, and that was the Ark of the Covenant. That original Ark of the Covenant that had been built by Moses and was set in that Holy of Holies, that is the only piece of furniture that they bring from the old tabernacle and they bring it over into the temple. And it was the last item to be brought over. The temple is built. I mean, it is shining. I mean, I mean, everything is in place. They have furnished it. And now the last thing they do before they're going to hold that first service is they're going to bring that Ark of the Covenant, that's the crowning act and they're gonna bring it in, they're gonna set it down and now they're going to enjoy worship in the house that is built for the Lord. Now, the Ark of the Covenant is a very very special thing. It was kind of like, like a box shaped piece of furniture. It wasn't very big. It was about four feet long, about two and a half feet wide and about two and a half feet high. It was made out of shittim wood. You've probably never seen any shittim wood but Shidham wood, sometimes called Achaia wood, it was the only tree to grow of any size in the desert. It could survive in harsh environments and it was imperishable. It was a wood that never decayed, it never rotted. And what was so unusual about that tree was that there was an ointment, there, there was a sap that came out of that tree and it came out only at night and they discovered that it had a lot of medicinal Benefits. They used it as medicine for so many things. And and that shuddam wood, there's so many pieces of furniture in the tabernacle made out of it. It's a type of Jesus Christ, the humanity of Christ. But that ark was made out of shuddam wood, that imperishable wood. But then it was covered inside and outside with pure gold. That's a picture of the deity of Jesus Christ. When you look at that ark, the wood represents the humanity. The pure gold represents the deity of Jesus Christ. And when Moses built that ark and he had it placed into the holy of holies in the tabernacle, it represents the very presence of God in their midst. It sat in that inner sanctum where only the high priest could go and he would only go there one day out of the year on the day of atonement. It's where he would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat and the Shekinah glory of God would fill that tabernacle. Then, as Israel would wander through the wilderness for 40 years, that ark always led the way. There was a family of Levites and they were dedicated that it is your job to carry that ark on their shoulders and the ark was always first. It led them through the wilderness. It led them across the Jordan River into the promised land. It led them in the battles. But there was a special way that that ark was to be carried. I want you to keep your finger in 1 Kings chapter 8. I want you to go to Exodus chapter 25. And here's where that ark was first made. And look if you would at Exodus chapter 25 and look at verse number 10. Exodus 25 and verse 10. They shall make an ark of shittim wood. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof. A cubit and a half the breadth thereof. A cubit and a half the height thereof. Thou shalt overlay it with pure gold. Within and without shalt thou overlay it. Shalt make upon it a crown of gold round about. Thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it and put them in the four corners thereof. Two rings rings shall be on the one side of it and two rings in the other side of it. And thou shalt make staves of shittim wood, and overlay them with gold. Thou shalt put the staves into the rings by the sides of the ark, that the ark may be born with them. So Moses instructed those craftsmen, you make four rings, and you put them at the four corners of that ark, then you make two staves, poles, make them out of shittim wood, overlay it with gold, and then they ran those staves, those staves, through those four rings, and that's how they would transport that ark. Four men would get on each corner. They would pick it up by the staves, not touch the ark. They would pick it up, and they would put those staves on their shoulders, and they would carry it like that. The tabernacle itself, the structure of the tabernacle, they could carry it on wagons. A lot of that furniture, they could carry it on wagons. They had wagons and oxen, but not this. The ark of the covenant was to be borne on their shoulders by the staves, and you don't touch the ark. Well, they found out later there's a death penalty if you touch that ark. I mean, God was really specific. You take these staves and you put it on your shoulders, and that's how you carry that ark. Well, look at verse number 15. Interesting little detail. The staves shall be in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. Now, well, that's interesting to me. Moses has these craftsmen, they, they build these four rings and they, they, they put those staves in there at any time that, that the cloud moves and the camp has to move. That's how they're going to carry it. And here's what it says. It says they, that, that, that they, shall not, they shall not be taken from it. So evidently, even when they're not transporting it, those staves stayed with the ark. They just left them sitting there in those four rings. And as far as I can tell, for the next 400 years, those staves were never taken out. Come back to 1 Kings chapter 8. Come back to 1 Kings chapter 8. And look at verse number 8. And they drew out the staves that the ends of the staves were seen out in the holy place before the oracle. That's the holy place. But they weren't seen without. That would be the outer court. And there they, the staves are unto this day. It is the first time. It is the only time that I can read that those staves were taken out of those rings. Now, I don't mean to make anything out of it that is not there, but it is what it is. And maybe it doesn't mean anything but maybe everything in the Bible means something. huh? huh? Because, because Moses said, Moses said, the staves, the staves are not to be taken out of it. And we, we never read that they were until the ark is brought into the temple. That's the ark's final resting place. And now the staves are taken out. And don't you know that on that day, that 14 weeks, don't you know that there are a thousand details that we're not told in the summary but for some reason, we are told that. And there's been a hundred sermons preached on the ark. But I wonder if there's a sermon in the staves. Those two staves are a testimony to something. See, here's what I thought. I'm, I'm, we're going to eat fat chicken in just a minute. Here's what I thought. Those staves are a testimony of my conversion. Come back to Exodus 25. We're going to flip back and forth. Come back to Exodus 25. And I want you to look at verse number 13. Verse 13. Thou shalt make staves of shittim wood and overlay them with, catch this, gold. Did you know that every piece of furniture in the tabernacle that was overlaid with gold, some was overlaid with brass, like the brazen altar, but every piece of furniture that was overlaid with gold was overlaid with pure gold. But the staves were covered with just gold. Not pure gold. The the brazen altar, it wasn't covered with gold. But anything made out of gold was pure gold except those staves. Because those staves are not a type of Christ. They're a type of you and I. Pure gold was a picture of the deity of Christ, but, but you and I are not pure gold not pure gold, we're not Christ. Here's what happens, here's what happens. Brother Jordan, here's what happens. Moses says we need two staves, we need two poles to carry this ark. And so he gets a craftsman, gets a workman and the workman goes out into the forest somewhere and he's looking for two saplings, he's looking for two trees, small trees that he can cut down and make staves out of. So he goes through it, he's looking through the forest and there's hundreds, there's thousands of trees. And he's looking for just the right two. He's looking and he's looking and he looks at this tree and he looks at that tree. And finally he sees two. He sees two. Boy, I, I think I can make something out of that. He's looking for shittim wood and, and shittim wood was used mostly for fires. That's the reason what it was. You would cut it down and you would use it for firewood. And 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 so he goes out and he he looks at these trees and, and if nothing happens they're destined for the fire. That's that's what's gonna to happen to them. And so he's looking at these trees and he and he's looking not just at what they are, he sees beyond that, he's looking what, what can I make out of that tree? Could I make something usable out of that? Oh, there's gonna be a lot of work and be a lot of preparation, gotta get it ready, but I need something that is suitable for the job. So he looks past the branches and the bark and the knots and all of that. What can I make out of that? So, so he goes out into the forest, and he, he looks at a hundred saplings, and he picks two out. And if they are going to be a vessel that I can use, I've got to cut them down. They'll have to die. So he cuts them down, and he hauls them back to his tent, to his workshop, and he begins to strip them. And he strips all the bark off, and he cuts all the branches off, and he gets it down just to bare wood. And he begins to sand, and he begins to sand, he begins to whittle, and he sands it some more. And it rubs its hand over to see if there's any rough spots, and he sands that down some more. And he gets it completely stripped down. He just gets it all down to bare wood. It's just perfectly smooth and perfectly smooth. When he's got it just like it wants. Then he dips it in molten gold. And that rough sapling that was in that forest with that bark and branches and gnarly, all of that, now it's a beautiful, smooth, golden step. It looks so much different now. You would not recognize it now if you'd have seen it in the forest, all right? I mean, I mean, it looks so much different. Did you know that that is a picture of what Christ did for you and I? I was just one person in the sea of humanity destined for a fire. There was nothing that made me stand out. There was nothing in me to get God's attention over anybody else. But one day, the Holy Spirit passed by my way and he chose me. I'm not a Calvinist and I don't understand this, but I know that he chose me. If that gives you a problem theologically, you have to take it up with him. But I know that he chose me and it was not because of what I was. No, he looked beyond all of that to what he can make out of me and do you understand when Christ called me that I was crucified with Christ I had to die but I wasn't ready for the service of God I wasn't ready I was not a suitable vessel so he had to strip me and he had to cut me down and he had to chip and he had to sand and he had to strip. He began the long process of knocking out the bark and the branches and and the knots and taking away everything that was not pleasing to him. And not only that, but he dipped me in the gold of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. If you could have seen me growing wild in that forest and if you could have seen me now, you would have said it's not even the same person and the reality, it's not and when you look at me now, you see just a couple of sticks, but I know that inside I'm just a piece of wood, but I've been dipped in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He saw something in me that nobody else could see. He saw what he can make of me. He had a, he had a purpose for me, but well, there was a lot of cutting and a lot of shaping and a lot of sanding to get me to where he could use me. And I am so glad for every step of the way where he chose me, where he cut me down, where he stripped me, where he sanded me. The long process, I am thankful. I am thankful for that process that I'm covered with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When I look at these two states, it is a picture of my conversion. Second thing, not only is it a picture of my conversion, it is a picture of my commission. You're at Exodus 25, look at verse number 14. Thou should put the staves into the rings by the sides of the ark. Watch this. That the ark may be born with them. Now I've already said that the ark was going to be transported by these two staves. Men are not allowed to touch it. They don't carry it on a wagon. These staves are to be used. And when they placed those staves through those rings, the men would pick it up and they would carry it on their shoulders. So when that craftsman went out there to look for two trees that I could shape into staves, he has a purpose in mind. These are not gonna be decorative pieces. They're not walking sticks. They are used for one thing. That craftsman has a purpose in mind. I want to make them into staves to carry the ark of God. By the way, inside that ark, there were three items. Hold your finger right here. Go to Hebrews chapter 9. All the way over in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 9. There were three items that was in that ark. Hebrews chapter 9 if you would. And I want you to look at verse number 14. Hebrews 9 and verse number 14. (coughs) And I wrote the wrong verse down. So Hebrews 9 and verse 4. Verse 4 talking about that, had the golden center and the ark of the covenant round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant. Now, now there are some people that believe that Aaron's rod that budded and the golden pot of manna were never placed inside the ark, but that it was carried along with the ark. And the reason why they say this is because they changed one word in modern versions. I don't believe that because verse four clearly says that it was wherein it was in. So inside that ark are three items. However, however, those three items were not always inside that ark. At some point, that golden pot of manna and Aaron's rod that budded came out. Come back to 1 Kings chapter eight, are you still with me? Come back to 1 Kings chapter eight. 1 Kings chapter eight, look if you would at verse number eight. They drew out the saves at the end. The saves were seen out in the holy place before the oracle. They were not seen without and they are there unto this day. Verse 9, there was nothing in the ark save the two tables of stone. Somewhere in the journey, that golden pot of manna and that Aaron's rod that budded somewhere, they disappeared. Maybe the Philistines when they had it, maybe they took those out, I don't know. But I do know that from the day that the ark was built until the day that it rests in the temple, that there was a tablet of stone that had the Ten Commandments on it, and they were in that Ark of the Covenant for that entire time. You know what was written on the tablet of stone, by the way? It, It was the Ten Commandments. Those Ten Commandments are a message of holiness and a condemnation from God. You know what those stones told you? Those stones told you what God demanded and how you and I fell short. The message on those stones was that you were a sinner and under the condemnation of a holy and a righteous God. Here's what I need these two safes to do. I want you to carry that ark everywhere you go because inside of that ark is a message and it is a message of condemnation to the world. We, we have quit preaching the law. But how can you preach the gospel without preaching the law? How can you tell people how to get saved without telling them first that they are lost? And they may not like that part of the message, but everywhere these staves carry that ark, they carry the message to the world that men stand guilty before God. The commission of those two staves is to carry that news everywhere you go that God is holy, God has a law, and you have transgressed it. That's your commission, but that's not all. Because on top of that ark, they built a lid. It's called a mercy seat. Huh? Wish you was with me this morning. It was a mercy seat. It's not made out of shit and wood and gold. No, it's made out of pure gold. And the law said that, that 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 there is condemnation. But the mercy seat that said that God is a God of mercy that rises above the condemnation. That mercy seat is where the priest would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice and God would be satisfied with it. We must not come keep back from telling the world that there is condemnation, but thank God we can all also, tell the world that there is mercy. mercy. Two, two staves, two, two staves, think about them. Growing in the forest, look at them now smooth, clean, dipped in gold. And the master craftsman said, I am making you for a purpose. I have a job for you. I am going to make you into usable vessels. I want you to carry this ark that has the tables of stone and has the mercy seat. I want you to carry it everywhere you go. You cannot find a place in the Old Testament where the ark went without the staves. They never took a day off. They were not used for anything else. They didn't use them to prop up the tent. They didn't use them as an leg for the table of showbread. They didn't use them to stir the embers on the altar. No, if they didn't do this, there's no use for them. There are a lot of Christians who are not interested in obeying that commission. And so what God does is he sits them in the corner. If you're not gonna do what I called you for, then I don't have another job for you. So many churches have become social clubs that are designed to making people feel good for not doing what God has called them to do. Come back to Exodus 25. Come back to Exodus 25. Here's an interesting word. Exodus 25, look at verse number 21. Thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. The ark of the covenant was sometimes called the ark of testimony because it carried a testimony everywhere it went. So could I say that those two staves, their commission is carry a testimony everywhere you go. No one ever praised the two staves. No one ever said, boy, those are two fine looking staves. Nobody ever said that. They never do any attention to themselves. They never drew the admiration of anybody. But they just did their job. All of the attention is on the ark and the testimony. And our job is not to draw attention to ourselves. It's not to do anything for the praise of men. No, carry the testimony of Christ everywhere that you go. In any ministry that God allows me to have, may all the attention be on Christ and not on me. May I never sing a song for the praise of men. May I never preach a sermon for the applause of men. May I never teach a class for the, for to be seen in men. No, may my life be a testimony of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And may my life be spent in carrying that message to the world. Can I use a bit of a sanctified imagination right here? If there is such a thing. If those two staves had remained in the forest, they would have grown, they would have sat there and eventually a fire would consume them, maybe cut down from firewood, maybe a forest fire, I don't know. But sanctified imaginations, think of where those two staves got to go and what they got to see. When the master craftsman made them for that purpose. Is 487 years from the time of the tabernacle to the time that Solomon put that ark in the temple. And for 487 years, everywhere that ark went, those two staves went as well. When they crossed the Jordan River and went into the promised land, the ark went first. The ark was first, and that priest stepped his foot in that water, and that river parted. That ark was right there. So were the staves. When they came to the city of Jericho and marched around it seven days, And on the seventh day, they marched around it seven times and shouted, the ark led the way. When those walls of mighty Jericho came tumbling down, that ark was there. So were those two staves. The Philistines stole the ark and put it in the temple of Dagon. And that night, that Dagon fell. And the next night he fell again. That ark was there. So were those two staves. And there's a lot of people that feel that if I surrender my life to Christ, it's going to be boring. It's going to be, listen, I'm going to tell you something. It's not boring serving Jesus. Serving Jesus will take you, I-, I know the chicken is getting cold, I'm hurrying, all right? Serving Jesus will take you places that you never went before. It'll let you see some things that you would have never gotten to see if you hadn't surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. It'll give you opportunities in life that you never knew existed. You didn't know what this kind of life would be like when Christ called you. I want to tell you something, it is a great life. Every war, every battle that Israel fought, the ark led the way, and there was the staves leading the way. It got to see every victory. And by the way, by the way, battles are kind of dangerous. But every time they went into the battle, there was no damage ever done to the ark or to those two staves. It carried that testimony in dangerous places, but it was never any safer than it was close to the ark. That ark's a picture of Jesus Christ. They carried Christ to the world. That ark is where the glory of God would come down. And those two staves got to see the glory of God like nobody else got to see. That ark, that, those two staves led that ark into some of the greatest events of Israel's history. And I just want to say to you that it is a joy to serve Jesus Christ. 27 years here, and I've gotten to go places I would not have gotten to go to. I've been able to see some things and do some things and see the miracles of God and be close to Christ and experience the glory of God. It's a testimony of our commission. Come back to 1 Kings chapter eight, I'm done with this. I, I see in these two staves a type of my conversion. And I see in these two staves a type of my commission these two staves are a testimony of my coronation. Look at verse number eight. They drew out the staves, that the ends of the staves were seen out in the holy place before the oracle. They were not seen without, and there they are unto this day. For 487 years, that ark, those two staves have carried that ark faithfully They've carried that testimony everywhere they went. They've carried it across rivers and through deserts and the battles. And they have very faithfully fulfilled the task that they were called to. And they never did anything else. But now Solomon has built the temple. And the last piece of furniture to be brought in is the Ark. That Ark has moved around, moved around. But now the Ark is coming to its final resting place. The ark would no longer be carried to men, but now you had to come to a temple in Jerusalem to that ark. And here comes a long procession of Levites and priests and elders. There's music, there's singing, they're shouting, there's so much jubilation, but this is a great day. And leading the procession are four men. And they have those two staves under their shoulders. And there's the ark. And using those two staves, they carry that ark into the temple. They very carefully set it down on a special place and there it is going to sit. And it is a passing detail. But with all of the buzz of what is going on, you have a verse to tell you what happened to those two staves. For the first time, they take those staves and they pull them out of those rings. They lay them off to the side. And they protrude under the veil. They protrude into the holy place, but no farther than that. And the Bible says that there they remain unto this day. You have carried the ark faithfully, but now your mission is complete. No more deserts, no more rivers, no more battles. Now it is time to rest. Rest here beside the ark and bask in the worship that men are going to lavish upon God. They're not worshiping you, but you're going to be there to witness the worship. You've completed the task. You've accomplished your purpose. You have finished what I made you for. Now just rest. Solomon decided that since those two staves have been so instrumental and faithful to the task, they should have a special place in the house of God. No scripture said this had to be done. There's no law that said this had to happen, but this is to be their reward. This is their rest. Just two trees growing in the forest, cut down and died, stripped of everything that was ugly and unseemly and unusable and dipped in gold, given a commission, and faithfully carried the testimony for 487 years through dangers and toils and snares and now They rest in the house of God as nations come to worship. And one day, not Solomon, but Christ will come to a temple that is built just for him. And he's going to sit on a throne and nations will come to worship him. There will be people that are gathered around that throne that you and I carried the testimony to. And in that day, our work will be complete. We will have finished the task that God has called us to. And God is going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. It is time to rest near the throne. The work is done. here is your reward. And when I reflect back on 27 years of pastoring, I know that the laborer gets weary. I know that the workers are tired. And I know that there are some times that you don't see the results and you wonder, you wonder if there's any fruit. And I know that sometimes with the buddy that the criticism is than the compliments. And sometimes you have to fight the erics to want to be bitter and strike back and, because they don't understand and they lie about you. And I know that you're on a mountain one day and you're in the valley of the next. And I know that some days you want to throw in the towel and say it's not worth it. Pick up the ark. Carry the testimony. Be faithful to the calling. Your service is not unnoticed. Your labor is not unrewarded. And that one of these days, the day of rest is coming. And I'm telling you, it'll be worth every trial just to hear and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We're not home yet, children. So keep your eyes on the Savior. Just a few more days to labor, we'll sit down beside the river. How long did we be with Jesus and our loved ones gone before us? Well, there's a better day coming. We're not home yet. The testimony of Tuesdays, would you have your hands with me?